to Salvation Part 4 on Righteousness. In the New Testament, Jesus provides a lot of directions. When Jesus provides directions, I try to think how I can follow them. And when Jesus repeats directions, I believe they are repeated for good reason. Perhaps because Jesus knows we need it. In Matthew 10.22, Jesus says, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. And then in Matthew 24.13, Jesus says, But he who endures to the end shall be saved. So this point is repeated in two different verses, in two different chapters. Jesus says we need to endure to be saved. We need to endure doing right by God. Jesus makes this clear in John 15. I believe Jesus in John 15 is trying to describe not only how to fulfill the first and great command of God, but also consequences from doing it or not. Essentially, Jesus teaches us how to be right with God. Walking in God's righteousness is to sense godly good and increase in it. As we reshape our thoughts, words, attitudes, and actions to be more like God, we can grow in God's righteousness. And to reshape anything means to endure change. Righteousness is defined at BibleHub.com in Hebrew as just and righteousness, or righteous. And in the Greek is righteousness and justice. It also describes righteousness as the approval of God. In other words, to grow in righteousness is to be making choices and acting in ways that grow in the approval of God. This one character trait of God to be fair, right, just, and not partial to people is a character trait of which we all have room to improve. We each participate in what is called selective attention. We see what we are looking at and we think about what we are looking for. We need to keep God's good character within our thoughts. Seeking, following, loving, and desiring God is to look for how we can participate in God's good ways and character. There is a cliche that is used in 12-step meetings. First things first. It basically means seek God and do God's will. Jesus gives a very clear first and right step for us to take every day and throughout the day. Jesus says, Matthew 6:33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. In order to get all these things, godly good things, we must take some new and improved mental action with God's character. We must seek God's righteousness, and we must make God's righteousness the first thing we seek. Anything we set in our minds to be more important than God's righteousness may fall into idolatry. Yet I do not believe this is all or nothing. It is not black and white. It is not an either-or. We can bring with us degrees of God's righteousness into all of our activities and degrees of evil, sin, or ungodliness. I believe there is a bit of evil in the best of us and a bit of good in the worst of us. We are called to train, grow, and increase in godly good works. We are 
instructed to improve and teach by demonstration. We are instructed to persevere, endure, and struggle through the development of righteousness. Sometimes it can be a struggle to resist our own distracting, contrary thinking. I believe Jesus wants me to set my own heart and mind toward God's purposes all day long. I believe this, and I know this. I know this within me very well. I know it works, because I have done it many times over many years, and I've witnessed the good results over and over again. Humbling myself and submitting myself to God's ways is necessary. Yet there are many influences that seek to convince me away from taking such action. I discuss this more in other podcast episodes. Please listen to all the episodes to grow a better understanding of what I'm teaching. 2 Samuel 23, 5 If my house were not right with God, surely he would not have made with me an everlasting covenant arranged and secured in every part. Surely he would not bring to fruition my salvation and grant me my every desire. This verse explains a requirement for an everlasting covenant. I must be right with God and arranged and secured in every part. The characters in the Bible demonstrate how this comes and goes. The characters in the Bible all had struggles. They would have doubt. There are times when they are close with God and then times when they are distant. And my story relates to this process as well. Instead of a one and done, I believe this is a process and a journey. In the beginning of my journey, I was told to trust God, clean house, and work with others. First, I needed to clean house. I needed to examine my character for defects. The house is my inward authority, my mind and my heart. I needed to humbly pray to God to have such defective character removed. The defective character is just self-seeking or self-centeredness or selfish ambition, uh, self-pity, thinking a lot about me, uh, stuff like that that interferes with my productivity and good for connecting and loving with other people. Things that create defensiveness and guardedness. Those kinds of things. That's what I needed to clean up and let go of. To let go of my thinking and my mind. To stop thinking about those things. But instead, think about what good I could do for somebody else. How I can be kind and have compassion. Be sincere and genuine and vulnerable. Just be with other people in a helpful, productive way. Producing the good fruit. Getting right with God is to grow in God's righteousness. And to grow in God's righteousness is to increasingly grow our thoughts, beliefs, attitudes, demeanor, words, goals, and desires towards such righteous character. How can my goals now become more with God's character, to grow in that character? When I began this journey, my whole being was a defective character when compared to God's good. I really believed there was no good in me. I did not love and I had much hate. I was angry and did not trust anyone. I believed showing sincerity was to put my heart on the table for someone else to crush. My mentors taught me to make a list of my resentments and describe the situations. I needed to confess my anger and begin to see how my self-centered desires contributed to hurting others 
and I needed to learn how hurting others often provoked retaliation in them to hurt me. This cycle was essential for me to see and learn how my choices impacted responses from others. And as I slowly began responding with mercy and forgiveness, which are part of God's righteousness, my relationships improved. Matthew 7, 5. Hypocrite. First, says, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your other's eye. The plank can be a thought or belief within me that can shape an attitude or behavior contrary to God's approval, like my anger or resentment. My thoughts and how I perceive information creates my faith, and the faith I act upon is what can deliver me out of destruction if it is right with God. I was taught to keep a close watch upon inward thoughts of fear, resentment, fault-finding, blaming, dishonesty, and self-centeredness. These principles brought destruction, and they still bring destruction. I need the practice of humbling myself, confession, and repentance. Most times, the best response to anger and fear is to pray and get my inward being right with God. God approves of us growing with diligence. God is a forgiving and merciful God. There is a big difference between struggling as we grow and God's good and barely even trying. I believe we could all benefit from trying one day to give our all to obey God's ways in everything that day. It doesn't mean to be perfect. It means to give every effort we have to God just to see what happens. This could really enhance our self-awareness. Consultation and discussions about who we are, what we think, how we feel, and what we choose to do can teach us valuable spiritual truth about ourselves. Yet we will need to give in to the process. Look at the speck in our own eye and seek God for it to be removed. When I began giving up defective ways of living, it was a struggle. It was like moving to a new place where I had to relearn the landscape. I had to think about where I was going, but where I was going in my head. Was I going to take the path of fear or faith, resentment or forgiveness, dishonesty or evaluate myself deeper for truth? Was I going to be willing to be renewed and change? I was asked if I was willing to go to any length to grow spiritually. What kind of commitment was I willing to give to grow with God? I needed to choose to commit myself to do things that would be unfamiliar and uncomfortable. Of course, this training took time, but more importantly, it took self-discipline to stay the path. Stand firm, endure, and continue in it. Anyone who is going to be trained in anything will need to show up consistently and give themselves over to the work. They will need to follow some new instructions and to the degree necessary to produce the desired change. I began choosing relationships with others who had better character. I needed new associations that would encourage me in a more godly way. I needed others who are also applying themselves to grow with God. Growing with righteousness involved hard choices and associations and even careers. Each of us will need to decide for ourselves our path while keeping 
God the goal of our lives. God gives us free will to choose. Cleansing our conscience and purifying our heart is a priority in the journey. Doing right is to do right and be right more and more with God. And as we live more rightly by spiritual principles, we can cleanse our conscience and purify our hearts. We find peace, love, and connection with others. You may have heard Titus 3, 5. that says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Now verses 3, 1 through 4 set up understanding for 3, 5. These verses really shouldn't be skipped in my opinion. I believe they are very necessary to understand verse 3, 5. We ought to know these through experience and teach them. Let's think carefully about the meaning in verses 1 through 4 and compare ourselves to them, our thoughts, words, attitudes, and actions before comparing ourselves with 3.5 or applying 3.5 to our lives. So here's verses 1 through 4. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. We really ought to know what good work is, what good means, what the Bible means by it. Here's verse 2, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. Now, I don't know about you, but I am not at this point yet. I'm pursuing it, I'm going in it, but I'm not there yet. Here's verse 3, for we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. These things are what I needed to examine myself for, confess and repent from. I needed to identify them. I needed to be thorough. I needed to pray for removal of them. For me, they didn't just disappear. And the more I investigated, the more I could find. I still find them. They can show up in the most subtle ways. They can be normalized in families and societies and even groups or even churches. The purification process is the gradual removal of these things from within me. Here's verse 4. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, now, for me, this is a big deal. You can listen to my podcast on experience with love to understand the impact of this. When I am confronted with an angry, hateful person, I get defensive, guarded, and ready to respond in a similar fashion. But when kindness and love is presented to me, I respond very differently. So when the kindness and love of God comes to me through other people or some other fashion, it evokes something spiritual within my soul. Okay, now let's see how all of that ties in with 3.5. So 3.5 adds, 
not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. He saved us through mercy, through that loving and kindness which is grace. But I've found that it still is contingent upon whether or not I respond to that love and kindness and mercy and grace. Am I going to receive it and do likewise? Or am I going to continue to follow the character traits outlined in verse 3? So verse 3-5 says, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So I believe the washing and the regeneration, the renewing of the Spirit, is our inward attention to God's righteousness, our thoughts to God's righteousness, our trying to sense the good in that righteousness, all of our direction inwardly, focused now on godly good things, on godly good behavior, attitude, words, and actions. With our goodness growing in that direction, there is a cleansing, a purifying, a washing, a regeneration, and a renewing of our soul. That's how I see this working out. I hope that helps to clarify a little bit. So through the washing of regeneration means to me we are a new person that has been cleansed and cleansed in a godly way with removal of evil thinking and acting. Of course, not completely because we all sin. Let's look at an example where many people give themselves over to a new structure of behaving to show that we can change. When someone joins the military, they are agreeing to give themselves completely to a new program of living. They go through a boot camp for a crash course of training. Imagine if we dedicated ourselves to God and the instructions on how to behave in the Bible as someone who joins the military. Imagine how productive we could be. The reason I give this example is to show it is possible to take up a whole new structure of living, and just like the military, many sacrifices will need to be made. Many people, perhaps millions of people with addictions, go in to give themselves to a new program, a new structure, a new way of living with many sacrifices, and they do this every year. And like the military, some are successful and some are not. Please do not jump to an erroneous conclusion that I'm saying this has anything to do with the military. It is not. It is a metaphor. Try to understand it is a metaphor and how metaphors can be helpful. Unlike with the military, with God, we do not have a drill sergeant. We are not surrounded by others showing us how to behave. We do not have a uniform. Our physical reality is not prompting us into a particular action. We don't have someone waking us up, prompting us into action every day. We do not have a paycheck from God. Instead, we are invited to choose to participate in training. We have prompts all around us to ignore the calling. We are prompted by music, by movies, by friends, by family, by culture, by society, by books we read. We're prompted by signs. 
We're prompted by past experiences. We're prompted by our habits, by our thoughts, and by our beliefs every day. We are prompted to be self-serving and have selfish ambition. We are prompted to use false flattery and people please. We are prompted to lie. We are prompted to fool others and ourselves. We are prompted to anger, even anger toward ourselves or others. All that said, we need to walk in resistance to what other people do to be more honest and sincere than what is socially accepted and to go against what the crowd desires. We will need self-discipline to stand firm in what is godly right. We will need to think beyond fitting in with the crowd and convince ourselves toward doing more of God's righteousness. Imagine what kind of military we would have if it was all voluntary. Imagine people could just get up when they wanted, eat when they want, exercise or not, have private rooms, decorate it the way they want, dress how they want, drill sergeants would invite instead of command, or ask politely, or not say anything, just demonstrate. What do you think would happen? What kind of military would we have? Imagine if we went to school where there were no more tests or homework. Everyone just needed to show up once a week and try to stay awake. What kind of learning would take place? The fact of the matter is, when it comes to growing with God and walking in God's righteousness, we will need to get ourselves moving in the right direction. We will need to get ourselves out of bed to read, to contemplate, pray, ask questions, examine, explore, test, and learn. We will need to be self-disciplined and hold ourselves accountable. We will need to be our own drill sergeant. We will need to tell ourselves no when sinful prompts come and yes to new action with righteousness. In order to learn, train, grow, improve, and increase, we will need to convince ourselves to choose to get up each day and pursue God's ways inwardly. The development of God's love within us and given outwardly toward others with sincerity and truth can bring salvation. Titus 3.8 Those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. To be careful to maintain good works is to set our minds, words, goals, and actions to grow in God's righteousness. This righteousness can bring salvation. 2 Timothy 4, 7-8 I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. We are in a fight. We need to put on godly thoughts and attitude to fight against evil thoughts and perceptions. Romans 13:12. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. 2 Corinthians 6 7 By the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness, 
on the right hand and on the left. Also read all of Ephesians 6 and 2 Corinthians 10. They add to this armor of God and that we need to put it on. James 4.1 Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Your pleasures. When I ask for something from God, when I pray for something from God, but it is not something God desires or is of God's nature, then I'm not going to get it. God's going to do along God's desires, along God's goodness, God's righteousness, along God's character, statutes. God works around that. Let's look at how sins can be covered. I had a lot of misunderstanding within myself that kept me from love, a love which could or would cover sins. 1 Peter 4.8 And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Now, of course, this is talking about love the way God loves. God's idea of love. Okay, it's really important to understand that. Read 1 Corinthians 13 and try to take in what a little bit of an example of what that is. The verse does not say, this verse, 1 Peter 4, 8, it does not say love can or might cover many sins. It says it will cover them. Love will cover a multitude of sins, but it will need to be the kind of love that is right with God. We need to search ourselves, our thoughts, our attitudes, our beliefs, our habits, our character, to ensure that it is growing to align more with God's love. Such love would be honest, sincere, humble, bold, and sacrificial. Mainstream love that demonstrates people-pleasing and false flattery probably won't do it. Let's look at 1 Peter 4.17-19. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, and it begins with us first. What will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Remember in this episode, we started with the idea of enduring. First Peter 4 here is talking about suffering according to the will of God, to commit souls to him. So there's more endurance. This is a process we are to be in if we're obeying the gospel, as First Peter 4 is saying to do. So there may be a link between what Peter says, righteous one is scarcely saved, and what Jesus says in Matthew 5.20, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So they're both kind of saying that 
the idea of what is righteous at the time really misses God's righteousness or what Jesus wants us to do, Jesus' idea of righteousness. I see a lot of correcting going on with Jesus and the Pharisees about righteousness, about the right thing to do, about what God really wants us to do. The teachers of the law seem to focus on outward appearances or to give impressions of being righteous, and Jesus teaches to be righteous inwardly. Jesus teaches us to love God with our whole inward being, heart, mind, soul, strength. I needed to make a choice with commitment. When I first learned my inward way of responding to others needed to change, I was in a mild state of shock. Was I going to accept this new information, a new direction, or deny it? I had to choose. I chose to accept this information, even if just temporarily, to see where this path would lead me. I was on a journey with this new path and wanted to finish it out to see what would happen. I chose to grow my character toward mercy, forgiveness, and compassion because I wanted to understand what would happen. I just had to see. I chose to regularly pray for such character. And I was beginning to see things, to sense things, to experience changes and a new perception, a new understanding. When I chose to accept the work inwardly, I felt such changes. I felt a change because my mission changed, my goals changed, my interests changed. Nothing happened yet, but everything within me was different because I was seeking life differently. When people get new jobs or win the lottery, there can be a lot going on within them, although they have yet to start the work or cash in the ticket. I believe that's what it is like when we honestly and sincerely commit ourselves to grow with God's righteousness. It might not be an exciting feeling, but certainly a switch happens where we feel different. When I first made my decision, I felt fear. I was intimidated. I did not want to do the things that were asked of me. I was afraid and confused, uncertain. Yet I had to know. I accepted the responsibility, but was very nervous about it. I chose to trust God, but it wasn't really until I began praying for that guidance and began acting differently that I felt what it is like to accept a new identity. I felt confused yet curious and hopeful. I knew this decision I was making was life-changing, but I did not know how. Over time, I experienced a sense of sadness because my old identity was dying or leaving. I was gradually burying some of who I was while building a new person following new principles. 2 Corinthians 5.20 Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We are to grow in the likeness of God. We are to increasingly align ourselves with God's righteous ways. And as we do, we are increasingly being delivered out of destruction or being saved. We need to stand firm. Psalm 15, 1-2 Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. In order for me to grow in God's righteousness, I needed to be convinced to take on this new action, this new thinking, and invest myself more and more with it.
Romans 14.5 One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. I was convinced that I was doing well with the church and groups. I was contributing, serving, and fitting in. I was an active participant with their purposes. Yet when I compared my life to the disciples and what the Bible said to do, I became convinced there was so much more room for improvement. I believed I could be more patient and kind. I wanted to grow and I wanted to understand, but I did not want to dedicate to more learning and change. I needed to be more convinced, convinced enough to commit to new action. I began with a simple step of each day praying for guidance and listening. I looked for convincing information and gathered it up slowly. It didn't take long and I began making changes in my thoughts, words, and actions to be more kind, patient, and caring. My heart changed after doing that. I still need to examine myself for just how much effort, time, and energy I am applying to my spiritual productivity. Every time I sincerely and honestly look at this, I can see how I have room to improve. The benchmark, of course, is Jesus and the disciples. Not people around us, not our groups, not our church, not our club, not our family. It's Jesus and the disciples. I need to continue to think, how can I improve to their demonstration and their instruction? Although others around us may be a good starting point with mentors, we may outgrow them in our development. So when I first started, I had a sponsor and I had people showing me the actions, you know, how, how to pray, how to set my schedule, um, how to pick up the phone and call and talk things out to get direction. But over the years, I learned everything I needed to learn from them. And then I needed to go to God. I needed to look more inward to find a sense of spiritual good that can help coach me and guide me to do more of that. I was taught to pray when I wake up and pray before going to sleep every day. I was also taught to pray for guidance throughout the day and see how I can help others. I was taught to examine myself daily to see how well I am doing. This is a great process to begin, to implement in reconciling with God. So the first step is getting honest about our effort and application in doing what the Bible says to do. We can keep it simple with simple goals until we can achieve that goal and then move on to another goal. I really believe anyone who cannot see how to improve isn't taking enough time and honest investigation to learn how to improve. It's not difficult to wait, to wait and listen to God, to look in the Bible for instructions, to set goals, to see how we can be more patient, to be more kind. Psalm 27:14. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. To learn more about who God is, you can visit uh, www.inwardauthority.com slash Bible dash describes dash God. We can wait with our minds seeking God's righteous ways. We can do this. Thank you for listening and God bless. Mm-hmm.